electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, live today from the Schwab Impact Conference right here in Philadelphia. Thousands of registered investment advisors are here, including our very own Jason Snipe. He's going to be with us in just a few minutes. He's on the stage now, but he's going to make his way over to our platform when he is off. The rest of the investment committee debating the markets today as well. The mega caps, of course, Microsoft and Alphabet as they trade in opposite directions today. And the stage now set for Meta this afternoon. There is lots to discuss for all of you. With me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington is with us. And Katie Stockton of Fairlead Strategies is here at Impact as well. It's nice to see you. Thank you for joining us. So let's check the markets. By now, you know the story. The Nasdaq is where the bulk of the damage is today. Look at that. Down near 2%. It's a loss of 236 points. Yields are very much a story today as well. Backing up yet again towards 5%. There's 491, the 10-year note yield. However, Joe, I do want to start with Microsoft. That is the story today, or certainly one of the stories, at least the positive story today. Azure cloud revenue growth accelerating for the first time in a couple of years because of AI. You own the stock. Give me your take. Well, it's good that we saw our cloud services growth back above 28%, which was the expectation uh, that I had on Monday. That's where it needed to be. But overall, the impact of what we expected from Microsoft on the market itself, its ability to stabilize the market, it obviously is not present. And Scott, the reason it's not present is these stocks are called the Magnificent Seven. Now we're down to the Magnificent Five. We've lost Tesla, we've lost Alphabet. We'll get into the reasons why we lost Alphabet in a few seconds, but just overall, for the ability of Microsoft to stabilize the the market, and uh, obviously the reason that it's not You needed all of the Magnificent Seven to push up against a lot of very troubling signals within the market itself. I think we've done, uh, at least myself, I've looked towards this Magnificent Seven and I've looked away from the troubles. But what's going on this month in real estate? What's going on this month with the banks? What's going on with the financials, the response, the reaction to earnings? And let's remember something. The reaction to what is very good earnings so far has been horrific. We're seeing the revenue growth at 4%. We're seeing the earnings growth at 7%. But stocks are not reacting accordingly. And that's why we're in a very uncomfortable place right now. 4,200, the technical levels holding us up. But the rise in yields, we're pushing up uh, down against that. And we're below the 200-day moving average. Look like we're going to close below it for the uh, second time in the last few days. Yeah, Joe makes a lot of good points, Jenny. So give us your view. Uh, we're barely above 4,200. We're you know, teetering a little bit there. The tech trade, I don't know if it looks tired to you, but these stocks have done so well that these earnings reports were going to have to be knock it out of the park, uh, so to speak, to, okay. to keep up the momentum. And it just doesn't look like that's going to be the case. 
Yeah, so, so I don't think it's just tired, Scott. I think it's thoroughly exhausted. And it's really interesting when I take Google and Microsoft versus my portfolio yesterday. So you've got, sorry, Alphabet. Alphabet, um, where they had amazing numbers, right? Like they beat by a billion dollars on revenues. Earnings came in 10 cents ahead. Stocks down 9%. Microsoft, plus 26% on earnings. Stocks, meh. And I think that is because when they're trading at 30 times and 27 times and they're up as much as they are on there, they are thoroughly exhausted. Then I take that and I look at what happened in my equity income strategy yesterday and it's kind of stunning. Yesterday I had Verizon, 3M, Nextera, where I own a convertible preferred, and Dow, and they had perfectly lovely earnings. Nothing spectacular, no up 26%, but you know what, these guys are trading at eight times earnings, 10 times earnings. And you had Verizon, where all they did was beat by four cents, stocks up 9% yesterday. That's crazy, but when you're trading at eight times earnings with an 8% um, dividend yield on it, there's no exhaustion. So I see what's going on in the last two days as actually meaningful, and I think it is rotation out of those that are, that are exactly, as you said, tired, exhausted, and into those who've been waiting on the sidelines. I think it was Andrew yesterday morning, Andrew Ross Sorkin, who said something interesting when they were looking at Verizon pre-market, and he said, um, I was driving and listening to the radio, and he said, oh, I didn't know the market allowed Verizon to go up. And I think that's felt true for a lot of these kind of old line <clears throat> companies, all they need to do is give solid earnings, and I think there's significant upside ahead. So I see a rotation in leadership developing. All right, so Katie, it's a perfect segue, I think, to you when Jenny uses words like total exhaustion, right? You, you make your living looking at the charts. It's certainly at, at one part of what you do. You're overweight tech, the XLK. How do we view these now as these reports start to trickle in? Well, I would disagree. I, I think it's actually pretty encouraging to see Microsoft, which is an absolute behemoth, gap up on its chart. It's gapped up through some short-term resistance, and that's right around, I'd say, current levels, really. So as long as it holds current levels, it will have a short-term breakout. And then we have the final resistance really within reach for Microsoft. Imagine a market in which the major indices are going down and Microsoft is making new all-time highs. That would be hard to imagine given it's the second largest component in the S&P 500. So I wouldn't minimize the price action in Microsoft today. It does show a reaction to oversold conditions. And we also have to keep in mind that Alphabet was really the one that hadn't really corrected yet. So I don't want to say it's a positive, of course, to see it gap down, but it hadn't had that same level of a corrective price action. You make a good point there because it's, it was up 14 to 15% since its last earnings report, or, or roughly thereabout, right, over the last three months. So to your point, it had really run up into the report. That's right, so it was more overbought. So you think about coming into a report overbought, it's a harder sort of, I guess, proof point for the market. And of course, Microsoft was relatively oversold compared to Alphabet. So we are encouraged by the action. I think tech has maintained the relative strength on the large cap front. What we really need to see from the market now is for that to expand to small and mid cap tech. All right, so in other words, Steph, don't give up on mega cap just yet, right? I mean, that that's, essentially Katie's message here, is despite what you're looking at, which looks ugly in the NASDAQ today, um, Microsoft is a pretty good tell. The momentum is still there. Stock could push to new highs in her estimation. What do you think? 
Well, I think, you know, they, they're very over-owned, right? So I think that you have to keep that in mind, but you are getting growth. I mean, Azure and at Microsoft grew 29%. It accelerated from 26%. Even the PC business rose 4%, which no one was talking about, which, by the way, is positive for the stock I own, which is CDW. Google, Alphabet, same thing. I mean, you are seeing substantial growth. So if you see some meta, I think you're going to see also substantial growth. The same thing with Amazon. And I think on a pullback, I'm looking to add to all of these. As you know, I'm underweight tech, but I'm looking for opportunities because I think this is where the growth is going to be. And I think as they pull back, the valuations get a little bit easier to digest. They're not cheap by any means, but they are behemoth. And they have a lot of tailwinds going with them, especially AI, which we're in the first inning with. You know, you, you, you make a good point. And you said it yesterday that, you know, the, the big question was if these stocks pull back, in, in your mind, they would be bought. That's in part what was going to hold them up in the face of, of, of some turbulence uh, within the market. And then today, I see that you, you bought Alphabet. Hmm. You bought Alphabet, which was down, I don't know, what is it down now? 9% now? It's the worst day in yeah. about a year, uh, at least. So why does Stephanie Link buy Alphabet today? Because you have growth, you have a great company, a fabulous management team with a great balance sheet, lots of cash flow, and the stock's on sale. And that's what I do. I like to buy the number one or number two company in any given industry. And when it pulls back for whatever reason, if I think that my thesis on owning it, if it hasn't changed. Um, and to me, they just reported 46% earnings growth, 11% revenue growth. Advertising, which is 80% of the company, grew 9.4% and accelerated for the last three quarters. That's what I care about when I think about Alphabet. Cloud, I know, is important, but it's 13% of the total revenue of the company, and it still grew 23%. I understand operating margins and why people are upset about it, because they were a disappointment. That's why the stock is down almost 10%. I'm take, using that as taking advantage of that and adding to it because I do think it is attractive for the long term. I think they will be a very big winner in cloud. I think you have the big three. They're all going to win. And any given quarter, one takes a little bit of share. The other takes a little bit of share. I think this is actually absolutely an opportunity. And you know, I always mm. say earnings season is silly season. We see overreactions all over the place. And we're going to talk about another one that I bought uh, in the B block. But uh, I right. want to use my cash to be adding to good companies. But the, the third place player within cloud, I mean, you can make an argument now, especially where AI is going, the third place player can't afford to lose market share. And it, it's already third, right, in terms, in terms of the cloud. Here's a call today from Manas Crespi Hart as they downgrade Alphabet to neutral, and I want your reaction, Steph. To it. Well positioned to capitalize on the digital ad trend, participate in the cloud's growth, innovate with AI, benefit from digital transformation, and leverage a leaner cost structure. However, regulatory headwinds persist, competition is dynamic, and we believe the darkest days of this downturn are ahead of us. Wow. No. It's pretty, it's pretty bold. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how to address the regulation. That is an overhang on just about all of these companies. Um, and so, you know, these, these guys have a lot of cash. They can write a check. Um, so I kind of, I don't want to dismiss it, Scott, but I kind of discount it. 
Um, and I do think that the bulk of this company is still in massive growth mode. Right. So if you look at search up 11.4 percent, YouTube up 11.3 percent. I mentioned that overall advertising accelerated. So I think the fundamentals are going to win out eventually. They are going to have to spend a lot of money to gain more share in cloud. But at the same time, they've got this engine at the company that is just doing very, very well. And so they, any given quarter, operating margins are either up, down, they disappoint, they upside surprise. I think that they can rein it in if they really want to. And I suspect that they will after the reaction to this quarter today. Joe, I, I go back to where the, some of the commentary has been about Alphabet relative to Microsoft when you have this conversation. Um, it's Bing versus Bard, you know, and that's a whole different argument. No one cares today about ads on Google. No one cares about YouTube today as it relates to Google. People care about where these companies are going in terms of AI, who has the leadership role, who seeded it in, in part of where the narrative has gone. You own Alphabet as well. I, I, I do, and I like what Steph is doing here. She's recognizing uh, the value in the pullback and the stock and taking advantage of that. You know, I did think uh, last night a little bit about what Brad Gerstner has said about Alphabet and what he did with his position. Um, I, I'm not necessarily sure, though, what we witnessed with inside the earnings is representative of evidence that, in fact, his, the things that he was concerned about were actually validated in the earnings. I think it's, it's to Steph's point, it's, it's specific to the cloud. I think there are other areas that are positive within the business. And if you, like Stephanie, have some cash, this is a quality company and you're getting it where the valuation is coming in towards you and you take advantage of that. Well, I remember the conversation that I had with Bill Ackman last month at Delivering Alpha, Alpha where he was essentially, you know, talking about, you know, the Gerstner perspective, who was also there speaking about the trade that he made and versus his own perspective was like sold to me. Um, you know, it's one of his biggest positions now. And on the prior weakness right after all of this AI frenzy started to happen after Microsoft and OpenAI announced the chat GPT uh, you know, deal and the stock sold off, Ackman used that to, to buy more. So I get that there are two sides of it. It just comes, Katie, at a time, you know, these reports, there's no room for error, right? There's no margin for error with a lot of these stocks for the very reason that, you know, we've, we've watched them run up. I, I mentioned the the gains year to date in on all of these stocks are just just enormous. You know, Microsoft 42.5%, Alphabet 43, Amazon 48. You start getting into Meta and Nvidia, you need to talk about more than 150% gains. Well, the fable really rests on Apple, right? Apple is the biggest constituent within the S&P 500. Now, I like Stephanie's willingness to revisit these stocks into weakness, though, because that's hard to do. It's when sentiment is somewhat bad, right, and people are scrutinizing these earnings reports. A good rule of thumb in terms of gaps, when you look at a gap down, if you see Alphabet in particular rise into that gap within the next week or so, that tends to be a positive. It suggests that it's actually overdone on the downside short term. So we like to use that metric in terms of revisiting these stocks. All right, so Jenny, Meta, now the stage is set and maybe the pressure's on even more, right, for a stock that's done so incredibly well. I but after so. what we just got and the reaction in the market and what we're witnessing in the NASDAQ today, tell me what you're thinking here for a stock you own. 
I think it's really challenging. So remember, we owned we owned Meta this time last year when it was trading around 90 bucks a share. And as it's shot up, we've trimmed it a couple times this year because that is just prudent portfolio management. So now we sit here today with a stock over 300 and we're balancing out what's out there. On the one hand, you've got 19.3 times multiple on it. You've got 6% free cash flow yield. Earnings for 24, 2024 are going to grow by about 25%. 25 should grow by 17%. So from a math perspective, you have a pretty reasonable valuation and really compelling earnings growth. On top of that, you have 42 state eight attorney generals that are suing saying, hey, this is predatory to children. And I think it's an interesting thing because they're saying the reason it's predatory is because it's addictive. The software is addictive. The platform's addictive. So a year ago, everyone was <coughs> saying, hey, nobody wants it. Nobody uses it. Now they're being sued because it's so, it's so well used that it's considered addictive. It's a really tough kind of balance right now to figure out what to do about Meta going forward. I think we're more likely to use it as a source of funds rather than add to it, but we're not selling it quite yet because that math is really compelling. One other thing on the predatory and addictiveness, this is hard for me personally to deal with. You know, as a mom, my kids have no Instagram, no Facebook, nothing. For me personally, like, I love it. I think it's great, and it's a wonderful way for me to stay in touch with friends who I wouldn't otherwise. So I really see both sides of this platform, and that, frankly, echoes back to the investment position on it, which makes it hard. I think it's just, it's a challenging, it's a challenging investment right now. Right. Um, All right. the math is there. Okay. Yeah, Steph, I know you've been <laughs> trimming Meta, um, you know, yeah. over the last six months at least. So now how are you feeling into this yes. quarter as you use the opportunity? Because remember, like, let, let's remind people, right? You had sold Alphabet originally to buy Meta. We had a big debate on the program about that. So now you're, you're back in yeah. Alphabet. What's the state of your Meta position here? I, mean, I still like it. I think the advertising results at Alphabet bode very well for, for Meta. They also have very easy comparisons. You also have kind of a stable environment, like on the macro front, like a little more stability there. Um, and I think Reels is just getting going. So I think the quarter is going to be fine. It's all going to depend on their cost guidance, Scott. 96 to $102 billion total expenses. That is the bogey. If they do below that, and that's the guide for next year, that's good. If they actually go to the high end, the stock's going to get clobbered, uh, just given because it has done so well. But it's a fairly, it's much smaller position for me. I still like it. I still think the valuation is is reasonable for what you're getting. So um, we'll have to see what it what it does. But I sold a big chunk uh, all along the way on the way up, and we'll see if it pulls back. I might I might add to it as well. But I am going to continue to build okay. out the the alphabet position. All right. Well, you let us know. And what about you, Joe? You have it as well uh, in the Joe T. Uh, uh, listen, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned uh, with Meta. I think it's it's kind of stretched. I'm also concerned when we look into 2024 20, what the spending uh, ultimately like, might be. So I'm not inclined to add here uh, to Meta. And as I said at the top of the show, I think we're down to the Magnificent Five. And that's a little bit troubling for me from a technical perspective. Yeah. Did you have a question for Katie quickly? I do, Scott. It's great that Katie's on the show today because there are so many people that are looking at the charts right now and realizing that 4,200 is a significant level in the S&P. If you go back to June 1st, that's exactly where this market broke out through the month of June, through the month of July. Katie, how should we think about the significance of closing below 4,200? And in addition to that, how do you think about 
a second consecutive close below the 200-day moving average. When does it become validated? When does it become relevant for technical purposes? And, and before you answer that, we are literally right at 4,200, as you're going to give your answer to, our, to Joe and our, our viewers. So I'll just preface, I'll preface your answer with that. I would say we have to look at these support levels as cushions, not precise points. They never are precise in that there's just too many market participants to allow them to be that. Our support zone is actually 4180 to 4195, so it's a bit lower than that 4200 threshold. And so for us, a decisive breakdown would mean a move below 4180. That's actually a Fibonacci retracement level, Joe. And there's also former resistance at that 4195. So I'd be a little bit more generous. It is a critical juncture without question. The 200-day moving average has not proven to be a very significant support level, but it kind of bolsters the zone of support potentially. So with oversold conditions in place on both the short-term charts, the intermediate-term charts, and then also some oversold readings in breadth and sentiment, I think it's pretty intriguing that we have this kind of compelling risk-reward ratio. We know what our risk is because we're going to stop out below that 4180. Yeah, let's, before we take a break too, let's just show, so we showed you 4200 on the S&P key level. Let's just show you the 10-year note yield again uh, because it was moving back towards 5%, which has really been a, a line in the sand in terms of the comfort level for some investors as to where they were thinking all of this was going to go. I, I bring it up to you as you see 491 here because B of A says that they think peak yield pretty close. Uh, and on the other side of that, You've also got Deutsche Bank, we're well, not on the other side, but in addition to that, Deutsche Bank today, Joe, says we recently closed our tactical underweight in equities and turned bullish again. Mm -hmm. So look, it's easy to run with a nervous crowd um, and they admit that they're contrarian, but they find more evidence, they say, that their thesis of global growth is more resilient than ex expected and then that's gonna rule the day. You wanna address that, Joe, quick before I take a quick break? No, I, I, listen, I agree with that. And Scott, you know my bias. My bias is still, I believe, we are going to have a recovery. We are going to have a price rebound in the fourth quarter. I think a lot of it comes after November 1st, when you hear from the Treasury, when you hear from the Fed, and when you hear from Apple. But I also acknowledge and believe that there is a significant value opportunity that exists for long-term investors in the bond market. And that is, without question, competition for equities. And I think that's indicative of what we're seeing today in the tape. All right, we're watching the markets, the tape from top to bottom today. Katie, thank you so much for being thank here. You. Katie Stockton joining us here. Coming up, our chart of the day, a three-year low for a semi-stock after earnings. Joe is in that one. We're going to get his take. Jason Snipe joins us just after this break. When we come back live from Schwab Impact in Philly, back in two minutes. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs. 
who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. We're back live at Schwab Impact here in Philadelphia. Jason Snipe is now with us. I thought maybe you were ducking us after <laughs> after those Alphabet results. But no, you showed up. You're yes, a good sir. man. No, uh, all right. I mean, Alphabet, Microsoft. I'd be remiss if I didn't get your take, even 100%. though, you know, we discussed it in the A block and we're going to get to so much more coming up. But what, what do you think? Yeah. So for me, clearly, it's a, it's a cloud miss for Google. And I think that was that was the issue for the print. But again, top beat on the top and the bottom line. You know, Google for me, as we talk about the AI blip early on, you know, early on this year, I think that was somewhat of a challenge. But you know, clearly, obviously, Microsoft is in the lead. Microsoft has obviously the, the intensified growth of Azure. I'm going to ask you straight up: Are yeah. you worried about your stock position in Alphabet today? I'm not. I'm not because I, I really like to add the, the advertising revenue is obviously growing significantly. YouTube revenue is really strong. So for me, I think they're they're moving into the cycle and really starting to build their 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 position in the AI space. And I think this is just a little blip in the road, but they'll catch up. Okay. Well, you heard Stephanie Link buying it uh, on the pullback too. So uh, I hear on that. All right. Our chart of the day, Joe. We're going to do it because it's Texas Instruments. Uh, chips are a laggard today. Texas Instruments hits a three-year low on the earnings there. You own it personally. You own it in a T. So you got a lot at stake. On, on this one, and there it is down 4%. Yeah, I'm not sure why this is chart of the day. Chart of the day should be something that looks really good. You have to turn the chart upside down for this to look good. Uh, this, 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 this is awful, right? You need to turn, uh, so your, you need to turn your Texas Instruments frown upside down. <laughs> yeah, so th this is an analog semiconductor, okay? It's underperformed the entire industry year to date. There, there's a, there, there's a, a certain point at which you get frustrated, Scott, because you've heard from myself and so many others, what do you want to buy? You want to buy balance sheets, you want to buy return capital to shareholders, you want to own quality. Well, all right, a semiconductor, there's no more of a qualitative semi than Texas Instruments. But revenue's down 10% this year. They're doing awful in an environment where I'm told, I'm told that the industrial sector is doing really well and benefiting from infrastructure spend, they can, they're, they're making chips uh, and electronics for the industrial machinery industry. How is your revenue down 10%? I don't understand that. There's something that is idiosyncratic about this company where they've lost their way. And it's a shame that they've lost their way because this has been a signature name to own when you're looking at semiconductors. Yeah, you know, Steph, I'm looking at some of these names today. Uh, you got Broadcom is certainly one of yours. That stock's down uh, a little more than 2%. Forgive me for looking away uh, from the screen, but because, be, between Broadcom and Lamb Research, uh, these chip stocks are just not trading all that well today. Well, they've had a really nice run. Um, and actually, last week, uh, Lamb, Re Lamb Research reported earnings, and I added to it because I do think you are seeing a bottoming in the memory market. It's not happening as quickly as people expected or want. Um, and, and the stock was up 50% into the print, but they did increase wafer fab equipment spending targets for the second time this, this year. And that's a leading indicator for the bottoming in memory. And so I think this company is something like $40 a share in earnings power, making it 16 times forward estimates very attractive 
top of the line management, good balance sheet. Oh, and by the way, structurally, their margins are much higher uh, than past cycles, which is very encouraging and good for operating leverage. You have the obvious NVIDIA, Jason, yeah. along with, with Qualcomm. Now, NVIDIA doesn't report yep. for you know, a couple, couple weeks. weeks here. Right. Um, but what about the chips? Are they in trouble? Yeah, so I think for me, I'm, I'm, Qualcomm has obviously been challenged all year. I'm excited about these new Snapdragon chips you know, that will support the AI space. I think that could be a catalyst for the stock going forward. Uh, NVIDIA, obviously, I mean, we, we know they're the stalwart in the space, you know, up a, over 180% year to date. You know, they'll report in a couple weeks. We'll just have to see the cloud, the demand there uh, for the chips, I think, continues to resonate in the marketplace, and I think that will, they'll be strong. Jenny, Skyworks, Intel, Teradyne. Right. So we know this industry is cyclical and like this is when you actually want to buy when it makes you queasy and uncomfortable and most people are feeling frustrated. We also know that the semi space was the first to go into recession. So where, where are we now? Now we're at two years of depressed sales, destocking of inventories on PCs and phones. And when you look at what the earnings are for next year, the numbers are huge. So like Teradyne should be up 59% year over year. Intel should be up 173% year over year. Skyworks up 7% year over year. It's just earnings recovery, right? It's not like, oh, suddenly they have these remarkable earnings. But when you want to buy them is in that year or year and a half before before the, the cycle starts to turn. Because what we know is that the, cycle, the cyclical turns are always really vicious. They get hit really hard on the downside and then they ricochet on the, on the upside. So yeah, I'm but, but really wait comfortable a minute, though. I mean, you, you, you say you... you, you yeah. you're, but you paint a picture, and you paint a picture like, uh, these stocks have gotten crushed, so now's the time to buy. We just showed the, yeah. the semiconductor index. It, it tells a far different story. It's up 38% year to date. Ah. So okay. these stocks haven't okay. gotten mm -hmm. crushed, right? So uh, right, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not exactly Scott? sure about that. Okay, but, but here's the thing. This is why all year I've been saying, like, you can't just buy the semi-index. You, so, you need to parse through and look at it. And, like, what percent of that semi-index is NVIDIA? So when it's up 38%, like, how much of that 38% is NVIDIA responsible for versus our Teradyne and Skyworks, which are actually down? So you have to sort through, say, what's down, what's trading cheaply, what has significant earnings, significant provable earnings recovery ahead and buy those ones. So yeah, I'm not making a broad statement on the semi-index, I'm making a, a focused statement on what we own and why we own it within that industry. All right, moving to industrial, Steph, Boeing. Uh, you bought more of it, <laughs> you bought more of it. Now, yep. we take a look at the stock yep. today. Give our viewers a read on, uh, you know, it's been a little bit of a disappointment of late. Why'd you, why'd you buy more? Uh, well, the stock is down 24% from its highs, and the headline was not great in terms of them missing earnings. But when I dug deep into the results, it was really more of more charges in the defense side of the business. Um, I don't really own it for the defense side of the business. I own it for commercial aviation, uh, as you know. Um, I also own GE for the same theme. And so the, the, then in addition to the headline not being so great, then, it, then the company cut the 737 deliveries. Um, but that was as expected to be honest, right? So they didn't change their long-term guidance of 50 plane 737s per month in 25-26. They didn't change their 787 deliveries and they didn't change their free cash flow, which is the most important piece of the story. So I just thought down 24% uh, year, you know, from its highs and, and it was down uh, in, initially this morning. I just thought it was opportunity just to build up the position. All right, well, maybe that's all you need. Bertha Coombs yep. as the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. 
Hi, Scott. Here's what's happening at this hour. California Governor Gavin Newsom met with Chinese President Xi Jinping in China today to discuss, to discuss climate change. Newsom, on a week-long trip to promote climate cooperation, said the world will not be able to move the needle on climate change without U.S. and Chinese collaboration. She said the cooperation could be a bright spot in the relationship between the two nations. Former Treasury Secretary and Obama White House Chief of Staff Jack Lew is one step closer to becoming the new U.S. Ambassador to Israel. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee advanced his nomination today in a 12 to 9 vote. A final confirmation vote will likely take place next week. And UFC named Bud Light its official beer sponsor, parting ways with Modelo. The new contract, which starts next year, is the latest effort by Bud Light to reclaim its spot as the country's top-selling beer, following the controversy over its marketing partnership with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney last spring. Bud Light previously sponsored the UFC for about a decade until 2017, when Modelo became the official beer. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, appreciate that. Bertha Coombs up next. Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word, along with Charles Schwab, senior investment strategist Kevin Gordon here at Impact. We're back right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to Schwab Impact here in Philadelphia. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, has joined us, has joined us now for his midday word. Also, Kevin Gordon, Charles Schwab's senior investment strategist. Good to have you guys with us. Mike, I'll begin with you. You know, what, what the market could ill afford to have is tech go down hard and rates start to go back up. And that's exactly what you're getting today. Yeah, it's been a tough formula. Now, I, I would take some heart in the fact that there is some differentiation in terms of the reaction. We're not all across the board selling everything. But coming into this week, I think the way I was presenting things was, look, you're a little bit oversold in the market. Rates have had a little bit of a hard time getting through 5% on the 10-year. You're going to have the most profitable companies in history report earnings. How negative do you want to be into that strong seasonal period? Um, not really all played out. I mean, now maybe you don't want to be too negative, but it's just this testing process that has not really let up. Um, eight of the 17 trading sessions this month the S&P has had an intraday low within 25 points of 4,200. So they want to either soften it up to get through it, or it's proving that people want to make a stand and say that's enough for now. Now, what do you make of, look, one of the key questions is, if you did have a pullback in tech, would it be bought? Yeah. Stephanie Link takes the opportunity, for example, just one anecdotal example. However, maybe it represents a broader psyche that's out there of significant pullbacks within that space are going to be bought. 
I think until further notice, yes, until proven otherwise, because that is still the relative trend is, uh, is in place there. Um, now, how much of a pullback do you need before it registers, before you really uh, bring up a lot a of demand? There's one. a lot of air under a lot of those stocks. So, you know, that's what the market's going to have to sort out. Uh, but I do think that the earnings season is doing kind of what it's supposed to do, which, again, is the differentiation. And we're trying to figure out, uh, to me, if the next couple of quarters earnings forecasts are plausible. All right. Perfect segue to the senior investment strategist for Charles Schwab, who now advises people to do what? Well, I think to you know Mike's point, in terms of the near term, there is a little bit more of a support now from a sentiment perspective because you've actually seen across the spectrum on the attitudinal side, on the behavioral side, so not just what people are saying they're going to do or saying how they feel, but also what they're actually doing with their money and how they're positioning, there has been more of a washout. And that's what was missing in August when you started to hit some bumps after July. So yes, you get to a place now where it's a little bit more supportive of a rebound of a rally, but you also need a catalyst to get you there. So maybe earnings season is the differentiator there. And I actually wouldn't look to just earnings themselves. I think you have to sort of broaden the scope a bit and look at revenue because for all of the cheering about this pickup in the beat rate on the earnings side, we're at around 80% right now. You are sub 60% on the sales beat rate. So that is a widening divergence that typically doesn't work for, you know, doesn't last in perpetuity. And it doesn't have to be that earnings has to catch down. I think you can get some more durable growth on the sales side, but you have to be more, um, you know, a little bit more sort of nitpicky on what you're looking for on a sector uh, perspective. So we're we show rates on the screen now, right? 492 uh, back on the 10-year. What, what's your view of rates and how should we be thinking of that in terms of our investment strategy now? So I, I still think that, you know, just rates and level terms, there's not just one magic rate. And Mike's mentioned this before, which I think is good, where you just plug and chug and, it, and it's that rate for the entire market. Um, you know, for some companies in some segments of the market, rates don't even matter as much. And it's actually a good thing that rates have shot up if they're earning more in their cash versus what they owe in terms of debt. Um, so I think it, it does come back to the volatility of rates. And, you know, one of our secular themes right now and what we're starting to see and expecting to see is this turn back to what was this temperamental era from the 60s to the 90s where you had more of a persistence in the negative correlation between bond yields and stock prices. That seems to be the case now, although the positive caveat is that it's not as severe as it was from that 30-year period. So, you know, inflation was a much bigger problem. We don't see a repeat of what we had in the 70s or the 80s. Um, you know, the dynamics of the economy are just different. So I think different in a better way. But I would be on watch for that, and especially for sectors that just don't benefit from that environment. And it's your traditional defensives like utilities that don't. Um, you know, tech often gets a lot of flack for being so negatively correlated with yields, but it's also areas like utilities and areas like small caps to some extent, too. At some point, you're going to run out of time to start discussing whether there's going to be a year-end rally or not. Yeah. You know, you got, you got a real two months left. Our earnings season for mega cap was viewed to be one of the catalysts. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're going to have a broader upset, like you know, Joe was talking about the Magnificent Seven going to the Magnificent Five. Yeah. You can't have the Magnificent Five go down to the Magnificent Three. No. No, you absolutely can't. And, and who knows, maybe it could be that in order to really get a better flush out there, you have to have that faith that these seven stocks can save us broken for a while. Who knows? That's, a, that's one of those things where I could see it play either way. A lot of the seasonal lows and even longer term lows have happened in the final 10 days of October. So, yeah, to your point, running out of time for the classic period to unfold. And by the way, the classic period is only like a 5 or 6% gain. It just gets you back to where we were in July. Everyone would take it, but it doesn't mean it has to be some heroic move. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, guys. Mike, I'll see you later on, on Closing Bell. Kevin's always good to see you. Good to see you. That's Kevin Gordon. Coming up, four stocks, four bullish calls. We have ownership on the committee on them as well. We'll do our calls of the day next.
Well, there's the level you need to watch. 4,200, we're sitting right there, teetering back and forth above it, below it, and we'll follow that, obviously, until the end of this trading day, and we'll track that through closing bell, that last hour of trade as well. Let's do some calls of the day. I, I do want to do Palo Alto Networks, Jason. Initiated by Needham, $305 is the price target. It's transformed itself, they say, into a stalwart in cybersecurity. You own it. I agree with that 100%, Scott. I mean, clearly Palo Alto has had a phenomenal year, year to date, it's up 80%. Revenue growth last quarter of 26%. Now they guided it to around 19% revenue growth and 20% EPS growth. This stock, and it's recently become profitable over the last couple quarters, but I think cybersecurity is a theme that keeps on giving and Palo Alto plays positioned perfectly in the space. Jenny, you own it as well, and, and as I note that it's down today, it just, it gives me pause for a minute to, to just wonder if, you know, because, you know, Jason mentioned the 80% year to date, whether, you know, investors are going to look at some of these huge gains on the year who are feeling a little bit uneasy about where we are and start to ring the register on some of these names. Right. Right. I, I love the way Jason said, though, that it's the theme that keeps on giving. And, and that's exactly what keeps us in, because we look at it and we say, well, first of all, you can't really look at it on earnings. And the reason has to do with their accounting of revenues and the timing of that. But you can look at it on free cash flow yield. And, you know, for our discipline growth strategy, which this is in, we want a 5% or better free cash flow yield. This is down to 3.4. So on every metric, it's pretty expensive. And we're constantly tempted to what well, we have trimmed over the years. But we're constantly tempted to trim or potentially sell it. And then we go back and we reevaluate the growth that there's ahead and we know that that free cash flow is going to continue to grow in a way that, that I think in the whole software space is completely unique. There is, for better and worse, endless, absolute demand for, for network security. And these guys are the best and they have the most diversified platform, the highest free cash flow yield within the peer group. So this is why we stick around. But it's tough when it's, Steph, when it's kind you, of expensive the way it is now. Yeah. Steph, would you make the argument that it's, I mean, Fortinet is yours, right? That's how you play cyber? Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It trades at a discount to Palo Alto. It's also lagged pretty substantially. They had a disappointing quarter last quarter, and the stock fell 20% on the day. I, I, uh, I added to it on the day. Hasn't really recovered, but I still like the, uh, the story very much long term with you know, bookings and billings growth in the 30%, margins expanding. Um, and I still want to be part of and involved in cybersecurity. I mean, I think that is, I have a lot of confidence in that total addressable market and the theme for the long term. So you have some bumps and bruises along the way. I, I just prefer the, the valuation discount to Fortinet versus Palo Alto. Let's squeeze in, Joe. I know you have Palo Alto, but I want to move off that. I want to go to uh, Packard. Sure. Upgraded today at Deutsche. Best in class machinery, they call it. 2024 consensus too low, stock too cheap. Give me something on Packard. Should have been the chart of the day instead of Texas Instruments. This is a company that's growing at 20 plus percent over the last two years. Wow, that's uh, a great looking years. chart today, the Joe. Wow. Woohoo! That, that and that, <laughs> and that, and that is a and that is a stock that trades at the right valuation, a valuation that I know everyone on the panel would respect uh, at low teens. So it's a, it's a company that that is is hitting on all the fundamentals, uh, and it's being rewarded. Shareholders uh, are benefiting from what they're doing, and we've got people paying a premium for the stock price. We own it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get you set up for earnings that are still ahead in the next 24 hours. I got IBM. I got ServiceNow. I've got Honeywell. I've got Merck. 
We're back from Philly at Schwab Impact next. Well, we're just showing you the NASDAQ. That is not the picture that you were hoping for today, I know. Down 2% uh, and sliding a little bit as the show's gone on. We'll see what happens. We have more earnings, of course, coming up in the next 24 hours. All right, Steph, overtime uh, today, IBM. What do we think? Yeah, I mean, I think software and consulting is the story. Look for that to grow mid-single digits. That's 75% of the overall total revenues. That's going to increase recurring revenues. That's going to drive margin expansion and free cash flow. The guide at $10.5 billion is key. I think that they will reiterate that. Jason, service now today in overtime as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously the stock's performed really well year to date, it's up 38%. I think for me, I'm really focused on the public center business. That's where a lot of their industry a lot of their businesses, again, they had revenue growth of 46% in the last quarter. I'm sorry, uh, revenue EPS growth of 46% and revenue growth of 23%. So let's see how that works out. You want to take Honeywell, too, because it's before the bell tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Honeywell's been a little bit challenging, down 16% year-to-date. Really focused on aerospace here. I think I look at Honeywell as an, a, tech, a tech industrial. So they have a diversified product mix. Hopefully, we'll see some runway there. All right, Joe Merck, uh, tomorrow before yeah. the bell. Personally and in the Joe T you have this. So what's your read? Absolutely. One of my favorite names over the last several years. It's really going to come down to Keytruda. We need to see that blockbuster cancer drug revenue come in well above $6.3 billion. Overall revenue, we're looking somewhere around $15.3 billion. Analysts have been raising estimates on Merck going into this earnings report. So it's easy to say by the pullback, they're going to need a little bit of a better than expected earnings report here, uh, I believe, for the stock to rebound. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. We'll take a quick break. we got final trades next. We're back at Impact for Closing Bell today. Got some special guests, Malcolm Etheridge, with me here. Kevin Dreyer as well. He's the Gabelli Fund's co-CIO. We obviously have a lot to talk to him about. Market positioning, where he thinks you should be invested. In the meantime, let's do final trades. Uh, Joe, I'll go to you first. And you're just flying. I mean, Amazon's now down 5%. I know you just sent that to me. I, I don't think that's your final trade, but it is noteworthy as in, a, in a down day for tech, to say the least. Yeah, keep your eye on that, certainly with Amazon reporting tomorrow. My final trade is Visa from the long side. All right, Stephanie Link. Cummins, uh, strong backlog, pricing power, like the Meritor acquisition and synergies, and the stock is down 9% year-to-date, trades at 11 times forward. Okay, Jenny. Stanley Black & Decker. I bought this right here last May. It shot up to 90. It's back down. Dividend aristocrat, 55 years of raising the dividend, 4.2% yield right here. All right, Jason Snipe. Google price action is overdone. All right, well, we're going to see how it all shakes out. I'll see you in a couple hours for Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.